0: So Susan was walking in the neighborhood. She was just simply trying to clear her head a little bit because it had been an exhausting year. Ever since she had gotten the call from the party representatives that the party had gotten together and said um, that they wanted her to run for the state senate office. So they called her to law firm and her head started to spin and she was pretty overwhelmed by this. And so she started thinking about how honored she felt by this opportunity and, and the fact that they were choosing her and all of those noble thoughts that she's, she'd lived by, the opportunity to serve others, to make the world a better place for many. So she jumped right into the, the campaign and it was a whirlwind and she managed it, um, every little bit of it going from event to event, speech to speech, shaking more hands than she'd ever shaken in her life. Way more coffee than she thought any human being could possibly consume. Way little sleep. And yet it was finally coming to an end. The results had been tallied. She won by a landslide. She was spinning. She just couldn't, couldn't believe this. They wanted me. All of those ideas that I had of, again... Making the world a better place, they have the absolute possibility of coming true. But she needed a little minute. She just needed some time to spend by herself and think about what was going on, therefore, the walk. And she was surprised as she walked and continued to walk in the neighborhood, all the words and thoughts and feelings that started to spin in her mind. All those noble thoughts were still there, all the ways to serve the world. Uh, we're still close at hand. But there was another voice that was pushing in. Where's this, where's this voice coming from? Susan, girl, you have arrived. You can make some real money now. Everybody's going to be clamoring for you. They're going to want you to come and, and sit on their boards and speak at their events. And, and uh, they're going to be after you. And you're going to be able to name your price. And she started wondering, what? What is this voice? Where's this coming from, Susan? Do you you know that guy that Frank, that political activist that's been a burr under your saddle? Um, you know, one phone call, and you could get him removed. You wouldn't. You need people that believe in you, um, that are with you in this call. And another voice, it was like, where, where, are these, where are these thoughts and feelings coming from? Another voice began to speak to her and say, you know, this is just the first step. You need to be thinking about Washington. Your, uh, your name could be a, um, a household uh, name in the next decade. You shake the right hands, uh, make the right moves, you keep your nose clean and... Life could be really different. Life is a chessboard, and you're the master, and you're just moving the pieces right now. The author of Hebrews says it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So this gospel text we just read, Jesus just came out of his baptism. He was being proclaimed by Father God, this is my presence. This is my incarnational presence in the world. Watch him, follow him, believe in him.
1: So we hear the voice at his baptism that says, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Jesus has heard that voice as he's come out. And then we immediately go into chapter 4 and it says, Jesus is led to the wilderness. He was led, so he was there on purpose. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't something that he did wrong. He was led to the wilderness, and then here comes the voice of the tempter. We shouldn't be surprised that that whispering voice was trying to distract him, was trying to diminish his call as savior of the world. The devil starts by challenging the very encouragement, the very strength that he just got. You are my son, my beloved son. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. How often in our lives do we hear an affirming word from God, and we feel strong and confident, and then all this doubt comes in. All these voices come in against us. How often do we find ourselves doubting, Am I the beloved child of God? Does he love me? the voices of the tempter coming our way. Sometimes those voices have really rational, logical arguments. They sound right, don't they? Sometimes it's like, yes, that makes sense. Surely if you're the son of God, God doesn't want you to go hungry. Besides, you have the ability to do it yourself. Use your power. Go get some food. You don't have to be hungry anymore. You can get what you need by yourself. And I kind of, as I was reading this, I kind of heard an echo in my mind of, remember, God helps those who help themselves. That's scripture that's not really scripture. (laughs) And then verse 5, The devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. If you are God's son, don't you want the world to see who you really are? Do something amazing. You'll be okay. God will take care of you, right? Think about all those religious leaders who denounced you and opposed you. You could show them. Besides, wouldn't it be good for the people to know who you are? Sometimes I think I'm way too good at the voice of the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Then finally, the tempter pulls out all the stops. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Forget your father and worship me. You don't need him. You'll be able to get everything that you want without him. Listen to the responses of Jesus again. Verse 4, but he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 7, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As Satan tries to use scripture against Jesus, Jesus is not fooled. He knows scripture better than Satan does. But he also knows his father. He knows the heart and the character of his father. And he chooses to live dependent on him and how he is leading him, regardless of what the future looks like. He is choosing to put his trust in his father God. Our flesh may scream out for satisfaction and control. The world may call us seductively. The devil himself may offer us undreamed of power. But the one Jesus knew as Father and we know as Father offers more. Jesus stood on what he knew and who he knew. And then in verse 11, then the devil left him.
0: So Lent is this season where we seek to be aware of voices in our life that have been speaking to us that we may be responding to, we may be uh, listening to, that we aren't even aware of. It's a time for us to say, Lord, search our heart. If there's something in me that it's not like you, maybe I've just gotten into a certain coping pattern, a certain way of thinking that is so off track from your nature. Expose that to us. Um, Fasting is this idea of we put away the flesh. We want to make sure that those are not things that are ruling uh, our life, uh, that those are not in charge. And then we're inviting the Spirit of God into those broken places in our life so that we might find His strength and sustenance. Now, when Jesus is using Scripture here, He's not just grabbing a few of His favorite verses. He's not just uh, shooting Bible bullets or proof texting here. He is reminding Satan of the story of God and his people. Matter of fact, every one of his responses here are from the story 1500 years before that of how God was interacting with his people and God was taking uh, his people out of slavery and out of bondage in Egypt. Um, and he was moving them into a new place of life. And so the, uh, uh, the Israelites had just been miraculously taken through the, the parting of the Red Sea. So it was their move through the water and then into the desert. We see that similar in Jesus, came out of the waters of baptism uh, into the desert. So we see correlation there. Uh, the, the voices of the enemy would come at the Israelites over and over and over again. And they would fail miserably. They would listen to the enemy um, and they would fall. They, would not, they did not believe. They lost sight of the fact that it was God who was delivering them. They lost sight of the hope that he had a promised land that he was taking them to. They lost sight of the belief that they were the people that God was going to bless and therefore be able to bless the world. And so the voices began to speak to them. So when they got hungry, a voice began to come up and said, you you were better off back in Egypt. Yeah, you were in slavery, but at least you had three meals a day. Uh, Wasn't very good, but at least um, you didn't go hungry. And so they began to respond to that and listen to that. Moses goes up into the mountain to be with God, and all their understanding of God at that point was kind of rumblings in the mountain, and and uh, the voice began to say, "Where is he gone? Your leaders left you. He's abandoned you. You, you. The the God that he's talking about, you can't even see him. You need something that you can see, something that you can touch. And so, just within days, they begin to make an idol that they could see and touch." Um, the the golden calf that they would begin to worship again. So where the Israelites had failed to trust God repeatedly, uh, Jesus had to face in 40 days what the Israelites struggled with for 40 years. But Jesus didn't fail. He trusted that, that his sustenance would come from God alone, that that call that he had in the world was true and pure. He's succeeding at what some call say that he became the ultimate Israelite. And it's reflected in just a few verses after what we just read. It said, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned.
1: And as we know, the voice of the tempter goes back beyond the Israelites. It goes back to literally the very beginning. Adam and Eve, God says one thing, don't eat from this tree. And the voice comes in and says, really? If you ate from the tree, you would have all of this knowledge. You wouldn't need God anymore. You could do this on your own. And then the voice came to Jesus. And then we see in scripture the voice came to people who were closest to him. We're trying to get him from going to the cross. Really, do you have to do that? They wanted to change his mind, but Jesus chose to fulfill his call. He chose the cross, a way of servanthood, suffering, and death for us, for the world. In the same way, we're going to have voices that come to us, those whispers. And they come from the same place and they have the same purpose. God has a call, a way of living, a purpose for each of us. We are to be his reflection in the world. We're his ambassadors to the world to show his goodness, to show his love, to show his mercy. And yet we have an enemy whose entire purpose is to distract us, to get us off track so that we won't do the things that we are called to do. Temptation isn't just to get us to commit some sin. It's for us to become ineffective. For us to water down our influence for good in the world. To be a dimmer reflection of God's nature to people around us. In essence, the temptation comes to make us ineffective in the world. And to not be good reflections of God. So as we go into the Lenten season what are the voices that we're listening to? What are the things that are here that could diminish my reflection of God, that could diminish God's people?
0: Now, If you've been here for a little while, most of you know that Janice and I um, are a little bit schizophrenic, um, kind of (laughs) probably suffer a little bit with multiple personality disorder. Um, We have a couple of different lives or two or three different lives. We're pastors here, but we also have a professional counseling practice. And so um, anytime that we ever give it any examples of people that we've talked to over the years, you just need to know that it, it's not somebody sitting next to you. Um, you would never know these people, okay?
1: Because if it's Nate, we'll just say it's Nate.
0: Yeah, yeah. we'll make it very, very clear. <laughs> but over the years, I've, I've seen a certain kind of guy. And I've seen several of these in 35 years and this guy, most of you, um, if you knew their story and saw them in public, you would go, wow, they are incredibly successful. They have built a business that's been huge beyond anything that they thought would have happened, uh, developed a professional skill in the world that's put them at the top of their ranks. And they've provided for their family in ways that nobody thought they ever could. And so they begin to have a voice that begin to speak to them. You have arrived. You you are, people are talking about you in the city. Uh, You're amazing. You have provided such a lifestyle for your family that if they ever complain about anything, it's just because they're not appreciative. And you deserve some stuff. You've worked so hard. You've sacrificed. You provide income for so many people. You deserve your needs to be met. People don't understand you. They don't understand what it's like to have to do what you do and and the stress that you've been under. And you need a little bit of this or a little bit of that to help you find um, kind of fulfillment. Um, It's not really going to hurt you, but you deserve it. So the voice began to speak to them, and several of these men that have walked into my office have... um, begin to choose some things. They begin to choose to have a little um, something on the side, a person on the side that was secret, that they really understand me. My family doesn't really get me. My wife doesn't get me. She's not really appreciative, but this person does. They've taken way too many boy trips to Vegas. Uh, And you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and so it's not really hurting anything. Uh, They start developing some... um, just some hobbies that are good hobbies. Um, but it happens so often that it takes them away from the family. Uh, they find themselves oftentimes angry at their kids and wives for, for asking her about something or complaining about something or asking where they're at or what they're doing. And uh, so they begin to fire off um, in anger. Again, it's not really hurting anything. Nobody really knows about these things. But what begins to happen is they respond to these voices. They begin to listen to them, go down that path. And and the ultimate vocation of what God had for them to be his reflection in the world begins to pale. The brightness that God had in his heart for them to reflect his nature in the world begins to diminish and pale. And I wonder what voice we might Um, if if that voice might, might be coming to us. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's not really that bad. It's not really hurting anybody. Are we listening to that voice?
1: Or we have young women that come in our office, and because of their own hurts, and because they don't really believe that they are loved and valued by their father, that they are the beloved, that they're desperate to find attention. And so they seek out people that they think will give them that love and value that they want so desperately. And they find out that they're used and discarded by this person that was supposed to give them love and was supposed to give them value. Maybe the voices are saying to us, God's not bringing what we need. We got to go get it for ourselves."
0: See, many men and women uh, finding themselves in a life that they just... They, they just weren't imagining this life. It's just way too, it's way more stressful. It's way too many things, too many plates that they've got to keep spinning. Um, too much anxiety about the future. Things aren't where they thought they would be at this time. And the voice begins to say, you know, it's understandable that you feel this kind of pain. You deserve to, to not feel that pain. You deserve to have something that will that will help you feel better about that. Um, again, people just don't understand how difficult your life is. And so they begin to listen to that voice and begin to choose counterfeits, uh, again, which are uh, just so prolific in our culture, so many different options to diminish pain or to increase some kind of euphoria to help us to kind of forget, forget the pain. And so some of the options are chosen. We just simply procrastinate. Surely, people—if they really knew what I was going through—they would understand why I just can't do that next project, or I, I know I need to do this or be this way, but I just—I just can't do it because, again, people just don't just don't understand. They begin to look at illicit in intimacy, um, the—you know—that—that that voice through Facebook of old boyfriend that just—he understands me, uh, he gets where I'm at. It just makes me. Forget life and forget all the stresses and it just it feels so good. Perfectionism, if I just do everything just right, if I make sure that I do everything perfectly, then people will eventually see and appreciate um, how good I am and the value that I that I bring to the world. Um, find themselves again getting angry that I found that if I just get confront people and get in their face and I get what I want and, and it's the only way to do it you just can't be nice to people you you got to be mean to to get what you need in the world Is that why you're so mean yes that's why I'm so mean um <laughs> too much food too little food um variety of chemical concoctions it'll just if my family really understood the stress they would understand why I want to come and just veg out in front of the TV I don't drink that much, that many. Um, they would just leave me alone if they really understood. Many paths, many opportunities, even just simply denial, where I'm not going to pretend this isn't happening, and I'm just not going to deal with it, and maybe it'll just go away. So many voices that are coming at us, many opportunities for grab a hold and respond to those voices that begins to diminish us.
1: And I think we can all relate to those of us that are married that, what are they doing? They're not doing what I want them to do. And instead of seeking God for our value and for our worth and for the strength to work on some issues in our relationship, instead we have that voice that says, they're not going to meet your needs. When maybe in reality, they were never designed to meet some of those needs. That that's God's place in, in their lives, in our lives. And we are trying to get our spouse to do something that really God is supposed to fulfill that need. Or the one I think that we're all familiar with is those voices that say, you really need to get this done right away. Wait to spend time with God. You'll have some time later on. But really, this is the urgent stuff that needs to get done. And it keeps us from being quiet before the Lord and really having that time to hear from him. I was laughing at myself yesterday because we were uh, going over the message and I kept thinking, I've got those boxes of crystal in the spare bedroom that I've got to get put up on the shelves. So maybe I should put the message aside to go do that. And it was like, seriously? They've been in there for weeks. They're not going anywhere. But that distraction that comes that takes us away from really listening to God and really being with him.
0: And finally, if we don't find ourselves in at least the corner of one of these stories... We're probably in the worst shape of all, which is pride. Know that. Remember that uh, Pharisee prayer in Luke 18. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, "God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers and all those people Brent, Brent and Janice were talking about, um, or even like the tax collector." So, Lynn, is this 40 days where we're simply remembering the 40 days of Christ? Um, in in the wilderness and the temptation that followed. Uh, We're remembering the journey of the Israelites, the 40 days, um, 40 years in the desert, in in the wilderness, where we're seeking proactively, we're pushing on purpose towards, God, we want you to be our all. We want you to fill up all those spaces, all those spaces where I've been looking to other things to fill up. We want you to do that. And you've noticed a theme here. Oftentimes, temptation comes at the worst in the desert. You know, when you've got those moments where you've had that encounter with God, and you've had those moments where you're 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 on, everything is going good in your life. It's much easier to push back those voices and to push back temptation. But it's those times in the desert that we struggle. So Lent is simply a self-imposed desert. We're putting ourselves in this on purpose. We're testing ourselves. We're testing and saying, is there something that I've been doing? Is there something that I've been believing that I'm not even aware of? So I'm saying no to these certain things, and I'm just going to see what kind of effect they might be having on me. I might be depending on them more than I even realize. And so we're doing it on purpose, um, and we're trying to make sure that those other voices diminish and the voice of God is the most significant. And remember that the voices always come disguised. They don't ever come saying, take this huge leap in that direction. It's, why don't you just do that? Why don't you just say yes to that? One small little couple degrees, then another little couple degrees. When I see people in my office, they they didn't jump to the end of, of their behavior. It's little by little by little by little until, oh my gosh, how did this happen? How did I get here? I, I look back and can't even believe that I would have done that. So remember that it comes disguised. And we're simply saying, God, we, we've probably gotten caught up. We're busy. We're not paying attention. Help, help our sensitivities become uh, more defined so that we can see your ways more clearly.
1: So Lynn is about saying no to some things. Fasting things that may not seem evil. They may seem perfectly good. They are perfectly good. But Lynn is saying, I don't want anything to have a hold of me other than God and what he wants for my life. I'm willing to push some things away because I want more of him. Brent and I are choosing, among other things, to give up Starbucks during the week. We make that perfectly clear. Not saying, During the
0: week, yes.
1: I'm not saying this is an addiction. I can give it up any time I want. Let's make that perfectly clear. But the problem is, they know our names and our orders and our voices way too well. Several weeks ago, we drove through a Starbucks in another part of town, and Brent placed the order, and the person came back over the, the microphone and said, Brent, what are you doing on this side of town? I was like... Okay, that is embarrassing. (laughs) But whether it's desserts, speeding, french fries, television, social media, whatever you feel led to do, they seem really small, and they don't seem like they're hurting anything. But we have to look at these and say, are these distractions in my life? Are they little gnats that keep me from focusing, that keep me from centering in on what I'm supposed to do? are they things that are diminishing my influence in my life and in the people around me? We're going to find out how much control they have over us. As we give these things up over the next few weeks, we're going to see if they have control over us or not. That's part of fasting.
0: And then for some of us, we may feel led to give up something pretty significant. Um, I've got a couple guys that I've met with in the last, last month, they are coming face-to-face with the reality that they are just drinking way too much. Now, you know, usually people don't come to that reality on their own. It's somebody else that, that they're affecting. And so the voice of a spouse has just gotten loud enough that they are recognizing. And oftentimes, uh, the angry spouse um, doesn't carry the message of the Holy Spirit very well, but these spouses have done a pretty good idea, of job of just saying, of saying what they're concerned about and what they're troubled by, and also the Holy Spirit was able to work through there. And they were sitting in my office, and they truly were convicted. Now, they have spent years trying to convince themselves and everybody else that they can handle this, um, that it's not really hurting anybody, that they can stop at any time, <laughs> um, but they've come face-to-face that they're actually causing harm. And so now they're toying with the idea that they still think they probably just need to cut back. You know, they need to start counting their drinks, you know. And, and uh, which has always been fascinated with that idea, you know, that, yeah, after the fourth one, I'm going to decide, oh, I should stop now, right? And so, anyway, <laughs> without going there. Um, and so, uh, anyway, they're trying to figure that out. And I just posed the question to them. I said, okay, we're coming up, and neither one of them really understood Lent much. They'd heard of it, thought it was a religious kind of thing, and I said, "Um, what if we took 40 days? Uh, Because they were thinking, well, maybe I just totally need to give it up, but that I I could tell that idea is like, oh my gosh, how could I possibly do that? Uh, I said, what if for 40 days, you just put this away? Now, we don't know what that's going to mean, and something happened in that it I could tell that the Spirit was able to get through, and it actually it was like, yeah, that's, that would be good. Now, they don't know whether they can do it. I don't know whether they can do it. But we're trusting that it's going to reveal something, that something in that, because of the attitude in which they're approaching it, that it's going to reveal something. And we're trusting that that's going to help them take what steps that they're going to have to take. So, so some of you may feel led to give up something pretty significant, not, not just French fries. Lynn is also about adding something, a new focus on God and his word. These are the things that Jesus used to fight off temptation, his relationship with God, who he was, um, and the word. And so maybe this is the time. You've heard us talk about the daily office. Some of you are still wondering, what in the world is that thing they talk about? Um, they go to their office daily? I mean, what, what is that? So do I. Um, you can Google it. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool thing. Many of you are doing it. It's an opportunity every morning. Many of us are doing it every morning and every night. Uh, it's a group of scriptures every day and a group of prayers, really wonderful, beautiful, powerful prayers. And then it gives opportunity for your own inspired prayers. The, the really cool thing about this is that everybody that's doing that in our church is all, are all reading the same thing every day. We're praying the same prayers um, together every day. And we're also joining our voices with millions and millions of people around the world that are reading those same scriptures every day, praying those same prayers every day. Probably the closest thing, because I'm very fascinated with the unity of the body. How do we take this 44,000 Protestant denominations, how do we ever have a chance of them ever unifying? I'm wondering if this is not the main way that God is going to be using in the future for the church to be unified. That we're studying the same things, we're praying the same prayers. It might be an opportunity to do it for 40 days. Just see what happens. I think probably something will happen inside of you that you'll probably want to keep doing some of that more. It might be just, you know, during Lent, let, we're going to really try to show up in service every Sunday. Think of that, huh? Um, what would that look like to be to in services for an entire season where there's a certain theme that's happening that you're hearing a little different part of that theme all the way through Easter? We're just not going to let our circumstances or the weather um, or who's speaking that day. Um, we can't speak every Sunday. <laughs> no, we know that our isn't the biggest attended Sundays. So whatever it is that that it's that we just make sure we're going to show up. Make sure we've been talking first of the year we encourage people to start giving on a regular basis. Again, for some people a 10% is like what? That's just craziness, you know? That's a lot of money. So whatever percentage, a 1% or a 2%, but something consistently, something where I'm just saying No to my control and my ability to manage this, and yes to God. We're we're leaning into him in a different way. Some of you it might be checking out a local food bank or food pantry and find out how you could just go volunteer. One of my daughters goes every week um, and just feeds people every week. Uh, It's just a rhythm that she's been doing for years and years and years. She kind of sought it out, figured it out herself. Um, She takes some friends to do it. Maybe this is that season um, where we just lean into some new things, um, some things that we're trying to add in uh, to those broken places um, in our life.
1: And I would encourage you to start a lies and truth journal. Listen to those voices. Listen to those things that come into your brain, the things like they don't appreciate you. You're being taken advantage of. All those little things that can come in, write them down. And confront those lies, speak to them, challenge the lies that are there, and and really replace that with God's voice. Replace that with, you know what, maybe they don't appreciate me. I think they do, but God's called me to lay down my life. And so it's okay if they don't appreciate me. It's okay. But you have to confront those lies or they will swirl around in your brain and they will build a really good case For how terrible people around you really are. (laughs) So we want to expose them. We want to bring them out. I laugh at some of my own thoughts. You know, our call is to lay down our lives. And then I get irritated when my spouse parks a little too far over on the driveway. (laughs) We all have some of those things that we deal with. So let's make it a habit to examine our thoughts, to listen to our voices. And to go, is that voice from God? Is that self-interest? Is that the enemy? So we can listen to what's there and we can feed the voice that is God. And we can put away the voice that is not him. You always know it's the Holy Spirit convicting you because it comes with peace. The Holy Spirit can tell me I'm lazy and I will go, oh, yes, Mm -hmm. But when the enemy comes with that, it's not you're lazy. It's not only are you lazy, you are a horrible, terrible person. And so we learn to recognize the difference and say, I'm going to follow God's voice, and I'm not going to listen to any of the other voices.
0: And if we've learned nothing else over the years, it's that life is the sum total of our daily decisions, our daily habits. So it generally takes 30 to 40 days to form a new habit in our life. So land is this, like, perfect time. To develop these new rhythms, um, to look at those things that we've allowed in our life, begin to push those aside, um, and begin to say yes and say, today, this week, this month, I'm going to look to God to be my, um, the essence of, of fulfilling uh, my life. I'm going to find my whole person uh, in Him.
1: We have a quote from Walter Brueggemann. Um, from Prayers for Privileged People. We begin the new week towards you, from whom no secret can be hid. We have had a night and a weekend and a lifetime of secrets. We have stored the usual list of secrets, of acres of guilt unforgiven, of desires too rich to utter. Beyond that, we have a secret list of hurts, from ancient days with parents and siblings, from assorted bullies at play school and in adult life, some of us overly sensitive, all of us grown protective and capable of self-pity. Beyond that, we have a secret list of hopes, some selfish and some noble, hopes of new freedom and new reconciliation, of new security oh, and new reconciliation or recognition, of doing well and being well. We have so much to keep hidden, and you, God, know because you have made us and have watched us from the beginning. You know because you see us waking and are sleeping. You know because you love us right through, beyond all our covert capacity. And we yearn to be known fully, without reservation, by you.
0: Would you just stand and I would ask you to, let's join together and let this last section be our prayer as we close. So we ask on this day courage to match your love, honesty to match your generosity, self-awareness to speak into your awareness of us that by the time the sun sets, we help rent the curtain of our lives and let you into the center of it all, there to abide in holy forgiveness. We pray through your spirit of all truth that our truth, open to your mercy, may make us free. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.